0: you. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you know that 85% of your engine wear occurs at startup? Yes, that is correct, and this is where lower the friction comes in by putting a protective lubricating barrier on all moving parts. This now gives you full-time protection to make your engine last longer, run smoother, give you better performance, and improve fuel economy. People across the country are reporting some very exciting results. Go to lowerthefriction.com, place your order, and enter in promo code SOS to get 5% off of your order. That's lowerthefriction.com. all right hello everyone welcome to the secrets of saturn live stream i am jason lindgren your host welcome to this week uh this week we will be having wayne mccroy as always crow triple seven and dr andrew kaufman is back with us and by the way i need to add him on here to make sure he's working andy are you on camera or just audio
2: uh just audio just audio
1: okay then it doesn't really matter We'll just leave that as it is. All right. Anyway, uh, before we get started, I just want to let everybody know we have a massive thunderstorm going on right above my head. And uh, if it happens to cut, it's because our power went out. It happens quite frequently in the development where we live when we have big old thunderstorms. So I want to get that out of the way right off the bat. But anyway, this week we're going to talk about things involving mind control and all that. This is one of Wayne's topics. So I'm going to pass that right over to him and let him get this started off.
3: All right. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Secrets of Saturn. Uh, I thought uh, what a wonderful topic this would be to discuss with Dr. Andrew Kaufman. Uh, This is his specialty, uh, psychology, psychiatry, uh, the whole nine yards. So I just wanted to get uh, the take of a professional on some of these things that I've done so much research and looking into. So I
2: thought it would be an interesting conversation. You know, Wayne, I wasn't trained by the CIA. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> well as true as that may be you might have a little bit of insight into some of these things than the rest of us though so uh, you know I would love to get your perspective on things and I, I think a good place to start uh, would be with a little document that's called From PSYOP to Mind War The Psychology of Victory by uh, Colonel Paulie Valley and with uh, additions from Major Michael A. Aquino. Have you guys heard of Ma- Michael Aquino? Well,
1: I certainly I don't. Have know. Not.
3: But carry on, Wayne. Oh, anyway, okay. Well, Michael Aquino. This guy was Army intelligence. Uh, he's been all over television. Uh, he's actually the uh, head of. Uh, the, well, he was at one time the head of a satanic organization called the Temple of Set. Uh, and, you know, he was a big time uh, military intelligence guy who was heavily involved in setting uh, different policies and stuff for psychological operations. And he wrote a document uh, with a theory called Mind War. And this is basically where we're at today with as far as, uh, you know, the way psychological operations and stuff go. This is the policy that the the military has adopted. It's called Mind War. So uh, let me read just a little uh, section of this uh, policy paper here for you. Um, And we'll start down right here. Okay. It says the advantage of mind war is that it conducts wars in non-lethal, non-injurious, and non-destructive ways. Essentially, you overwhelm your enemy with argument. You seize control of all the means by which his government and populace process information to make up their minds, and you adjust it so those minds are made up as you desire. Everyone is happy, no one gets hurt or killed, and nothing is destroyed. Ordinary warfare, on the other hand, is characterized by its lack of reason. The antagonists just maim or kill each other's people and steal or destroy each other's lands until one side is hurt so badly that it gives up or both sides are hurt so badly that they agree to stop short of victory. After such a war, there is lasting misery, hate, and suffering. The only loser in mind war are the war profiteers, companies and corporations which grow fat on orders for helicopters, tanks, guns, munitions, etc. Consequently, what President Dwight Eisenhower referred to as the quote-unquote military-industrial complex can be counted upon to resist implementation of mind war as governing strategic conflict doctrine. And that's a quote directly out of this paper, which once again was titled From Psyop to Mind War, The Psychology of Victory. And that's right in the beginning part of the the paper there so I mean this right there tells you um, basically what their strategy is I mean does that not sound exactly how things are operating today they're you know you know overwhelming everybody with argument
4: I just saw um, a breakdown from people who bailed on Russia back in the 80s uh, some very educated men and they are estimating that only 15% of the KGB was about espionage and all the rest of it was about mind warping, uh, <laughs> about skew- skewing the view of huge populations. Um, that's, that's a hell of a thing to consider. And by the way, KGB encodes 9-11, of course. Um, you can't even say that about the CIA, but uh, 85% used to skew the mental image of what the world is uh, by the masses.
3: Absolutely. it's not surprising. And uh, I actually have another document that's uh, all about what they call psychopolitics. and this is directly uh, from the KGB from Russia and it's it's actually a, a book on brainwashing and infiltrating foreign governments and taking over uh, basically their their psychological operations throughout. And uh, it's called psychopolitics. <laughs> that's that's what they're doing. They put psychopolitical operatives in place within different government structures and different business structures uh, to implement changes in a foreign country. And it seems that you know maybe that is something that has gone on to some degree or another on both sides here. But you know it's actually a, a strategy book. It's a textbook on brainwashing, and it's it's a Russian book that. Uh, came out. I have a copy of that in my digital library, too, and that's it's an interesting facet of things, too. But you can see all the way through all of this, anything with these psychological things like this, you always have the intelligence agencies and the military industrial complex involved. And right from the get-go, uh, the advent of psychology uh, is largely associated with these intelligence agencies. When you look back uh, at the end of World War II, with uh, the paperclip Uh, Project Paperclip scientists and stuff, a lot of them uh, were actually imported into our country and and Russia as well and several other countries, and their mind control operations, their programs that they were working on back in in Germany were uh, implemented here under different auspices too, and all this started with uh, the OSS. Uh, the Office of Strategic Services, which was set up, this was the precursor of the CIA, set up right after World War II, led by a gentleman named Reinhard Gellin. And, you know, this is what they were involved with. Psychology went right along with intelligence. And this is where a lot of these different ideas and stuff stem from and where these projects come from. So uh, shortly after that, we go into things like... uh, people are familiar with, with say something like MK Ultra, how this became public knowledge. So this is this is where a lot of these things originate from.
4: Well, it's not hard to imagine when you see the utter lack of common sense in the world around you today. Just talked to David Weiss yesterday. He hasn't worn a mask anywhere. Walked into a place they were cool without the mask and then they informed him we won't take money. He looked over there was a tip jar full of money. So he said, there's a tip jar there full of money and all they have is money. And <laughs> they said, we won't serve you. And he said, I won't be back. Um, the, this, and, and not only that, the places that you're going in that are allowing people to come in and eat are standing in a line in a mask, doing their transaction, then going and sitting at a table and taking off their masks so they can eat. It's all completely bereft of any adult mind uh, insight or basically, if that's not the case, then fear is insulating anyone from saying, hey, this is ridiculous. I, I think that just speaks to the decades of mind control that has gone on leading up to this. Yeah.
1: Uh, it all seems like it's one great big litmus test, one after the other, to see just how far they can take it, and 80-plus percent of people are just like, okay, me."
3: <laughs> yeah, it's actually a well, pretty sad thing when you look around and see how many people are just
2: bought into this whole thing, lock, stock, and barrel. You know, Wayne, I think that um, they they have a plan to do this through the education system because uh, one thing is in New York State, uh, Governor Cuomo has partnered with Bill Gates to um, uh, revise the education system in this new kind of uh, normal situation. And uh, we're anxiously awaiting the guidelines that are going to come out in a couple of weeks. But I believe Massachusetts already decided to do remote education. And I think this is a really powerful platform for the cabal to uh, continue this kind of uh, mass mind control because that first document that you mentioned really was talking about um, changing the opinion of a society of people, right? Not, not individual people. And if right. you can control all of the curriculum and all of the Um, texts that you're teaching in the in the entire education system through one centralized computer system, right? Imagine uh, the power of that to uh, brainwash the entire society.
4: Well let's let's give an example of one of the biggest overarching mind warps of all time. Uh, Jason and I briefly cover it in our Medici episode that I just put up. Um, Galileo Galilei So let's just break it down so that people can realize how long this has been going on and what this particular icon, character, in history is responsible for, and I say character for good reason. First of all, they branded him out the gate so he'd instantly be famous. The Bible was the book of the time, so they took a popular word, Galilee, everyone knew it, and they doubled it, Galileo, Galilee. He's instantly stage ready so then they make a big scene and say hey Mr. Galileo you can't publish this view of where we are Uh, we're gonna kill you and then they say well we're not gonna kill you but you sure as hell aren't publishing and by the way you're under arrest then they say well you're actually on house arrest and then they say well maybe you can publish ninety years later the Jesuit order was teaching verbatim what Galileo was stage threatened for in the first place and from that time to this, whenever that may have been, or however that went down, this has formed a world view of what is space, where is the sun, where are we in relation to all those lights up there, Um, and it goes to show you that this has never been lost on the people who rule, and by the time we reach the modern age, and I think Wayne would agree with me, I'm sure Dr. Kaufman would, by the time you start getting to Freud and Carl Jung, you are looking at the dudes who are basically Schematizing how to hack the human mind for the modern age.
3: Absolutely. That's a great word, too. Schematizing, that's exactly what they did. Uh, they were trying to figure out how, how could we hack the human mind. And this is something that's been going on since the beginning of time. Uh, these different secret societies and, and secret groups, this is one of the key secrets that, that they keep uh, within their orders, is how to control people basically mind control this is this goes stems all the way back uh way beyond uh you know the start of the Jesuits, going way back into the the ancient mystery schools to things like the brotherhood of the snake or the brotherhood of the dragon and moving on forward Uh, i mean you could see there were elaborate methods used to control minds by these different secret groups and secret orders Uh, a good example would be the assassins um the uh, leader of the assassins he used uh a lot of mind control manipulation type ideas uh, to instill loyalty in his followers to the point where they would actually kill themselves on his command. If he commanded it, he promised them paradise uh, when they die. He had them convinced that uh, he had godlike powers or that he had access to heaven himself. (laughs) And it's an interesting story if anybody wants to uh, pursue looking at that, but like, this is, you know, a template for how, uh, you know, cults are formed and, and how uh, mind control works to this degree. Uh, and, you know, it involved a heavy dosage of hashishim, uh, you know, or, or or hash, as it would be called. Uh, and, and that's one of the things. he would He would feed these people when they came to his palace, this hash, and it would put them in a trance-like state, and they wouldn't know what was going on. And they would wake up in this beautiful garden. And then, you know, he would, once again, he would keep them there for a while. And then they would get some more hash with whatever food or whatever they ate within the the, uh, the garden. And then when they woke up again, they were back in his palace. And he told them, I showed you a glimpse of heaven. And if you want to have this for eternity, you could uh, work under my service. And this is one of the methods that he used uh, to garner support and loyalty from from these followers of his. And, and once again, it involves things like... Uh, hypnotism and using different kinds of drugs to induce different altered states of consciousness in people and things of that nature. And uh, guess what, guys? They could alter states of consciousness with electrical and electronic devices now. And that's something that uh, goes on heavily today. So, I mean, even if you're not, uh, you know, one of those people that's highly susceptible to hypnotic suggestion or anything like that. Looking at your your monitor on your computer or your television screen, it alters your your state of mind, whether you realize it does or not. And these this is a tool that's used a lot today. So you could see back through you know some of these primitive techniques and stuff that they used back then uh, to moving forward to today, where they use more complex things and and you know more technological type things. Uh, a lot of the strategies are the same when you you look at it really and this is the templates that a lot of these secret societies lay out this is this is some of the biggest secrets that they keep is these type of methods and that's something that people need to be aware of because it's largely being used against the public today
4: well there's there's a whole story we should ask dr. Kaufman because I'm gonna venture I guess and he can correct me if I'm wrong um, but I'm guessing in your training you came across Mesmer Um, mesmerism uh, when that whole thing came to be and it was a big damn deal when it first broke but then it it seems to have almost been treated as if it was a parlor trick uh, up into our time where they bring people on the stage and they hypnotize them but dr. Kaufman did you uh, in your training did you come across the work of mesmer
2: well, you know, only very briefly, the, they have really changed the curriculum that they teach to psychiatrists. It doesn't include many of the classics. It's uh, uh, so I haven't uh, been exposed to some of those things. I've certainly heard of Mesmer, but you know, while Wayne was talking, it really did make me think about television. Uh, you know, and of course, this includes your computer monitor and video games. But you know, if you go back and look at the patent for TV you'll see that it's written for a specific refresh rate. And that's to try to synchronize your brain waves into an alpha state, right? And this is not a, you know an exotic thing. This is a typical type of brainwave pattern that you could see on a, on a standard EEG like that a neurologist would use like to diagnose seizures. But that alpha brain state is a very suggestible state. It's a state that is, uh, you're in when you're involved in a lot of learning behavior. So this basically primes the viewer to receive the programming, right? It's no coincidence that they call it programs on TV, right? Because that's what it is. And I saw my children when, when they were really young, or you know, not super super young, but maybe like uh, three, four years old. Um, I wasn't uh, aware of how damaging. TV could be in short amounts. And so we let the kids watch a little bit of TV, and you could see them go into this hypnotic trance like state. And in fact, I remember it was like really, really difficult to get their attention. Like they'd be glued to the TV set, and uh, you'd have to like physically get in front of them and like touch them in order to get their attention. And that was a big warning sign that uh, quickly led to, you know, changing the. TV viewing uh, procedure in our home, but I did notice that there seemed to be a very strong pattern in the, the, the programming that was geared towards that age group, and it was basically the story of, <coughs> and maybe one of you know which classic it's derived from, but basically that there is uh, like a good guy and a bad guy, and the good guy defeats the bad guy you know, through the use of violence or force. And uh, I felt like this was like a model to get them used to the, basically, the constant war that we uh, have been in, you know, that may be shifting now, right? Because it's like the first time since this pandemic situation that we, we haven't heard mm-hmm. about uh, military operations. But, you know, just to give an example of how uh, this kind of technology evolved into the modern uh, life situation.
1: Well, that does sound like it falls under the the general category of the hero's journey. There's always the uh, the thing that has to be defeated and all that, so probably just could easily get included as part of that,
2: right?
3: Yeah, it might be like an archetypal idea. Uh, you know, the good the good guy versus the bad guy, and the the good guy has to uh, you know use extraneous force in order to uh, defeat the bad guy. Uh, this kind of thing, there's, you know, it goes back through mythology, through all different things. I mean, you could see it's a standard archetype through throughout any storytelling medium. So, you know, it, it does shape the minds of people. And it's been acknowledged in many of these think tank uh, uh, white papers and, and publications and books and things like that, that they utilize these things as programming templates, uh, things like mythology, religion, science, and... Uh, you know, just various things like that, philosophy. And those are like four of the major pillars uh, that they use for programming people's minds to accept different realities that they're presented with. And that's where we're at right now. I mean, what you perceive is your reality. And it's all about controlling people's perceptions. And, uh, you know, the, the people who uh, run these programs in this world and, and do these things steering uh, public policy – They're masters at this. They create the illusion for us. And if we buy into it, then there you go. That's your reality.
4: Well, think, think about even what's been done to the hero's journey. When I was young, um, the anti-hero, the idea of an anti-hero might've been Robin Hood or maybe Jesse James. And to pull off, to get people to root for the anti hero. Of course, Robin Hood gave to the poor. So, really, he's not really a bad guy, even though he's going against authority. They did similar things with Jesse James, but now look what movie and TV have been able to do. Uh, they'll put up an absolute human waste disposal unit as a character, and they'll have the whole audience rooting. An example I used recently is Tony Montana from Scarface. Um, they've got you rooting for that. So, now they've even gone at the basis. Of what's right and what's wrong in the human mind Um, or even that idea of what Batman once was and when did he become the Dark Knight Um, and it gets so dark but yet all these people are back in the bad guy even up into the video game era where now you have a choice when you log into a Star Wars game do you want to go to the dark side or the light side and all of this is geared to unlevel to dismiss the old ideas about what is actually true and correct and right and good and what is not. And it's very effective.
1: Yeah, that's for damn sure. So, Wayne, uh, what did you want to do with this document? Uh, and I, as a couple folks in the uh, chat were saying, especially my buddy RV there, that um, Aquino's a, an admitted Satanist. He's uh, he's kind of got the whole vulcan oh, yeah. going on there. Like, this guy is just outright very blunt about it. But but anyway, what is it about Akino you wanted to talk about?
3: Uh, basically, uh, when you look at this, uh, it's all about psychotronic research and psychotronic warfare. Um, psychotronic being the use of technologies to uh, achieve... Well, mind control, to put it simply. Uh, And it says further down here in the document, it says psychotronic research is in its infancy. Now, this was back in 1980. He wrote this in 1980. But the U.S. Army already possesses an operational weapon system designed to do what Lieutenant Colonel Alexander would like ESP to do, except that this weapon system uses existing communications media. It seeks to map the minds of neutral and enemy individuals and then to change them in accordance with U.S. national interests. It does this on a wide scale, embracing military units, regions, nations, national interests, and blocs. In its present form, it's called psychological operations. And uh, that should tell you something right there. I mean, they're talking about... They actually have existing communications media that can do this, that, that can affect people's minds and, and steer them in directions. And I think largely what they're talking about is entertainment media uh, when it comes down to it. Like If, if you read between the lines here, that's kind of what I suspect that they're talking about is, is using entertainment media to steer people's minds. And that's what they've largely done. Uh, for as long back as we could look, uh, with you know Hollywood and and the different proponents of that, uh, they're affecting people's perceptions of reality by using this stuff, and and this I think has been weaponized against us. Uh, I think that makes it pretty uh, pretty certain.
1: Now, Andy, I don't remember where we discussed this, but I do recall us having a conversation at some point how even the way doctors are trained or other medical professionals, even that it's almost a brainwashing technique where you're going to buy into the system because of the way they they do it to you with the long hours and, and the uh, the bombardment of the information and all that.
2: Yeah, I would uh, call it somewhat of a like hazing ritual um, in the way it's designed, but it certainly fits this model. And yeah, they do use the strategy of overwhelming you with... Uh, large volumes of information that they basically want you to really memorize or at least uh, the most important aspects of it and so it takes up all your time and then some. Um, So there's no time to like to reason or question things and it's really kind of interesting in this day and age especially because we have information available at our fingertips right through the internet and all these other kinds of resources so there's really no need to be familiar with a lot of factual information. Really, what you need to do is be familiar with how things work overall and have a general understanding of pathology, and then you can uh, access, you know, specific details or facts because those things always change anyway as new things are discovered. But but they keep this model for the purpose of preventing you from really looking at things carefully or questioning it, and they never present the actual, you know, scientific. Rationale for the things that they teach—they just pretty much state them as if they're fact. And I think it's really just follows a similar pattern that is present uh, throughout the school uh, system that we have, you know, in our modern society. Like, for example, when my son was assigned—and he's—he was. This was at a private school that doesn't follow the, you know, Common Core curriculum or anything like that. But he was um, assigned to do a report on a planet. And uh, so he had reference books from the library um, on this planet that he could take out or on the planets. And the way they presented the material in these books is they took something that was completely theoretical and presented it as fact, right? And that's really the way that we're being taught science and science-related disciplines like medicine, rather than going through, well, okay, how did we determine that this is this or that is that? Because you know, like uh, you and Crow talk a lot about um, how many of the uh, sky clock uh, dates and cycles are not correct in the official um, you know uh, astronomy records, right? Because, and you don't know what they're based on, why they got changed, but if you just look up with your own eyes, right, then you can observe the actual evidence. And this is what we're missing, like the curiosity uh, to do this and decide for ourselves. It's like been taken away from us by all this programming.
1: Well, a good example I can give everyone of just how this is uh, programming people just massively is Rose's mother. I had to have an argument with her while I was on the air on TFR on Monday uh, she was bombarding me with nonsense about the beer bug and and oh we're not gonna wear masks and oh we can't stay at our house that we ended up canceling our trip to California because she wouldn't let us stay at our house because we refused to wear masks and she kept up to, to the next day hitting me up with all these things and she sent me this video from the local parish which is what they call counties in Louisiana uh, of, of all the ding-dong mayors just repeating the same slogan about wearing a mask. I forget what it is because it was just like painful to watch. And it was one one minute, 11 seconds of every mayor in the area going, wear the mask, wear the mask. And I, was, and I wrote back to her, I was like, there's no science here. Like this is just people repeating rhetoric.
2: Well, Jason, you know, I was, uh, in listening to everything, I wanted to bring up the role of trauma in this kind of uh, influence and, and uh, mind control programming, because I think it's largely at play in this current situation. And, yep. you know, we know from other operations like MKUltra that it's, there's been a lot of experimentation with use of trauma to change people. And, you know, from my psychiatric experience, I've worked, I'd say, primarily with traumatized people. And I think that's, you know, the principal thing that causes uh, emotional turmoil uh, in, so- in our society at large. And you can see how their behavior and their outlook and their personality is, is really su- substantially influenced by that traumatic experience. You know, even if it's not for the purpose of specifically uh, influencing someone in a certain way. So it's definitely something that changes people, you know, I guess is what I'm really saying. But in this situation like especially if you look at the timing of when there was a small spike in the mortality um, and when the policies and the announcements were made right because it was right at the end of March that the World Health Organization declared the pandemic status and almost immediately after that like everywhere around the world countries began locking things down and putting people under house arrest and there were all these those scary predictions at the time like we may not even remember what it was like, but we had like Neil Ferguson's uh, computer models that were, you know, saying millions and millions of people were going to die. And so everyone was in this panic, fear mode. And this is when you had most of the mortality occur. Because this kind of a trauma and fear response like affects people so profoundly, not just emotionally, but also physically. And I, I think the physical changes are really important Uh, also in sort of transforming someone's outlook and future behavior, because it like instills, uh, you know, additional memory to the experience of how adversely they could be affected by the trauma if they don't change to avoid it or, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the other elements are, but I know that people were acting as if they were in a traumatic situation, right? Almost like if they were under attack from a foreign military operation. So, this you know when when I encounter people that are so vigilant about the masks or social distancing or other procedures like that that have really no scientific basis whatsoever, it's really out of that trauma response that uh, they they don't want to relive that or they're still living it actually, and they just can't bear it because every thing that they see like that reminds them of their uh, mortality or makes them think that it's an imminent threat to their survival.
1: You know, the one thing I always think about when we discuss uh, trauma based mind control is the military, uh, specifically boot camp. They pretty much go in and traumatize the hell out of you to the point that you're definitely not the same person when you come out. But of course, that's, uh, well, at least nowadays, voluntary. People willingly go to that. Of course, years ago, that was not true. A lot of times they were drafted, but uh, from a psychological standpoint, I'm sure you could comment on that quite a lot, right?
4: Well, they strip your individuality is is the main thing. They they strip you as being an individual person. They make you just like everyone else around you, and if someone else around you makes a mistake, everyone is punished. So basically, it's the stripping of your persona um, and then building it back up into the warrior idea.
3: So there's a lot yeah, of similarities yeah. between what's going on today and that because everybody's individuality is being stripped by the wearing right. of these masks. And uh, exactly. you, you get the same thing going on. If one rebels, the everybody gets punished. Uh, they'll <laughs> shut down more businesses or whatever. Right. And it's the same basic concept. You could see uh, why. Like something like this mind war document is so important, even though it's talking about, say, uh, war strategies between different countries or whatever. Take the word countries out of there, you know what I mean? And, and replace it with just citizens or, or however you want to view it. Just change the, the sides, the parameters of it uh, from the elite power structure to your common everyday public citizen. And there you go. And if you just replace a couple terms in there, you could totally see how this is a template. And it's being used against us, and I think I stepped on you there, Andy.
2: Oh no, that's quite right, Wayne. Uh, that was important what you just said. And um, I just I wanted to mention uh, polyvagal theory because I think this uh, might help offer some some explanation about uh, what the what the real strategy is. But of course, all those things are true, and they use this kind of uh, strategy for a lot of memberships, like fraternities and colleges. Right. They do a similar kind of thing in uh, police organizations. So it's a, it's a very common strategy, football camp, you know, and high school football team. But polyvagal theory is, is kind of important because uh, classically, this kind of trauma or fight or flight response was the only kind of response that was considered uh, to be in our repertoire in like a danger or emergency situation. But Some fairly recent science has pointed to that there are actually three different trauma responses that we're capable of. And so fight or flight is the one that we mostly know about when you're in a dangerous situation, that you change your physiology so you can run or fight, right? So the blood goes to your muscles and things like that. Um, But there's also uh, what's called the tend and befriend response. And this happens to be actually scientifically a major difference between men and women. In fact, in one paper, it said that this was the biggest gender difference other than the actual genitalia, um, that it was so distinct between men and women in this response. And the tendon befriend is more a little bit like Stockholm Syndrome, where you basically try to ingratiate yourself to whatever the s- source of danger is to avoid further uh, harm. And then the third response is something that you might be reminded of by the opossum which is the kind of uh, freeze response, where that's usually when you're in a trapped situation and you can't defend yourself, you can't get away, and so you just freeze and play dead, essentially. And I think we're seeing a mixture of responses like that from people, right? We certainly have the fight-or-flight types of people who have done all the prepping and bought up all the guns and right and are ready to battle, and uh, perhaps some of them took those piles of bricks in the streets that were dropped off. By law enforcement officials and uh, the rioting cities, just happened um, to be there and, <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, and then you know then we have the the tend and befriend, and I think that's the most common response, and that's the one they want where basically people are just trying to suck up to the authority figures, you know, like Fauci and Bill Gates and uh, you know Deborah Burks and and uh, whoever's in charge over Europe in the various countries. And basically befriend them by following everything they say, not even realizing that these things aren't even laws, like they're not enforceable. Uh, they're really just recommendations or suggestions, um, if you really look into uh, the legal nature of them, because none of them were passed by a legislature. But this kind of tend and befriend, you know, is uh, really, I think, the desired behavior, uh, because then they basically any new policies that are come up with there people are going to comply with.
4: You know, there's a, straight out of the Tavistock research we did, uh, there was a method that was clinically proven effective, and this goes all the way back to the Macy's group, I think is where the root of it was, but one of the Tavistock methods is to destabilize Um, and then let it get stable um, then let it get good then destabilize it's almost going to be good destabilize and they do this over a period of time and people just shut down it's like you said playing dead they shut down to a point but one of the side effects they found uh, when a society of people is treated in this way is they'll do just about anything to feel good again and that's how alcohol abuse and drug addiction and all these other things start to kick in because people are so kind of just overwhelmed, they'll do nearly anything, even if it's not good for them, just to get a few moments of uh, enjoyment, and that's verbatim listed in the Tavistock objective stocks. Well, Crow, there's, there's I, no
2: coincidence that um, the liquor stores were considered, and and the cannabis
4: dispensaries were. Kept open the whole time, right? <laughs> right. That's right. Just happens As to matter be. matter of fact, there, there's a local head shop here, um, which I give my stickers to because they give them away with every bag they sell, um, and they're not—they've never worn masks or anything. Meanwhile. Um, In one area, the the ice cream place, store place, uh, the state is in there every other day, threatening to shut them down if they don't enforce mask wearing. Hmm. Um, And as you said, this is completely illegitimate. Uh, If if there was a court to go to, uh, this wouldn't stand for a second. But part of what's going to go on here is can you imagine how backed up the courts will be um, when this comes to be? And I think that's part of the plan, too. And
3: uh, just another important facet there, that what you're referring to, Crow, with Tavistock. I think this is something directly from uh, a guy named Kurt Lewin, and uh, it was his strategy, which they call Future Shock. Uh, that is exactly what you described there. That's that's what that, it
4: is. Lewin uh, is one of the guys, and actually there was a band yeah. that furthered the name. The band was Future Shock and the Dead End Kids. Go figure. And that's actually <laughs> lifted. Now I can't remember. Future Shock is lifted from a novel somewhere.
3: Yeah, it was actually written by a guy named Alvin Toffler, who is also associated with Tavistock. But he was trying to take Lewin's work and spin it to that, like, all this stuff that was happening was accidental. It's not accidental. I mean, Lewin even had it planned. Right, right. It's like a full reversal of, like, exactly what they were doing. So he trying to convince people it was all, it all just came about by coincidence.
4: Yeah, well, you're going to be programmed. And by the way, did you read the book and listen to this song? <laughs> you know? There you go. It's just getting you from every damn angle. You know? you're, going to, you're going to go to the dispensary, you buy your thing a bud, and it's labeled Future Shock. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, holy smokes. Uh,
1: Dr. Kaufman, from a uh, psychological point of view, what would you say you've noticed is, as far as the general society – Where are people at mentally and emotionally and all that that you think is different from now several months worth of bombardment of, oh, there's a horrible disease that's going to kill everybody nonsense?
2: Well, I mean, clearly there are more people starting to just question why they're having to do these things. And uh, I think they seem to occur as in pockets or regionally like where maybe it, it can spread around, but I've been in some areas where people have actually been really even more fearful lately. And I, I really think that actually it's the, the social distancing and the wearing masks especially creates um, a shame type of reaction. It's like, why would we have to cover our face, right? We see ourselves as being dangerous or other people as being dangerous. And when I like go out into public, um, into into grocery stores and things like that um, you know I'm like in my area I'm the only one not wearing a mask uh, except when I went with like friends of mine <laughs> that were also uh, with me but mm-hmm. I haven't seen any other people in in the grocery store in my area and I try to make eye contact with people as I go around because I want to be friendly. I want to see you know if anyone is willing to engage me and uh, or if Uh, you know, how people react, but I just, it's like pretty normal, you know, before the masks and the social distancing, when I went to the grocery store, you know, if you get close to someone or pass right by, you smile at them, you make a brief eye contact, you know, it's just human nature to have those kind of interactions. So I'm trying to like, keep it normal and see if people can respond in that way. But in general, you know, they're not at all. They are looking down you know, and it's like that's what someone does who's who's feeling shame and embarrassment and fear, and it's really sad to see people walking. I mean, I know like it's an unpleasant experience for me to go to the grocery store because I feel like uh, you know that I worry that someone's going to try to kick me out or prohibit me or give me a hard time. But you know, for those people, it's also like not a pleasant experience, I'm sure, because they're either worry that that they have to comply with something to fit in that they don't really feel comfortable about or they're really scared that, uh, you know, someone's going to get them sick and they've got to, like, you know, be on guard and stay away from people. It's, uh, you know, it's it's almost like uh, if there was going to be a terrorist or a sniper around the corner.
4: Well, think about about the complete divorce of reality. No one's seen bodies stacking up to the ceiling, which is what would actually need to go on to shut down the world. And yet, by proxy, because the television has implied it and given you fraudulent numbers, uh, the mind accepts it as if you had seen that. Um, And that also is a tell on how divorced from reality we've become, where the mind... I can't really overstate at all... How critically divorced from reality uh, most of us have become and what that actually means and how difficult it is to initiate your way back. Um, As far as I know at this point, from the point you get serious and start, you're into this for about a year before you start to see meaningful reality come back into your decision-making process Um, and what I have learned is it damn near takes throwing out everything you ever accepted almost like you got to go erase the chalkboard before another true thing can ever get written and the chalkboard holds everything you've ever done and known and so it's kind of a uh, an insidious very dark evil thing uh, to have employed because they know damn well Um, and the other problem is part of the targeting here was for 65 and older these are people with a lifetime of experiences the more lifetime of experiences you have to readjust the harder it's going to get as a matter of fact some people in their older years aren't even interested in trying Um, so it's all very divisive and cleverly put together Um, but the divorce from reality is literally has people as if they were zombies no no real perception uh, of the world that exists
1: all right, Wayne. Where you want to take us next? This was your uh, your thing.
4: Okay,
3: I just wanted to further state that I think it's sad. I mean, look at how depressed people are in this current era that we're going through right now with all of this stuff. It's it's terrible. Like it's it, the last statistics I saw. It's one in five has some sort of uh, mental illness of some sort or or psychological condition. Uh, and that was before this whole pandemic thing set in. So, I mean, you're talking, this is a high number of people, one in five, that's like 20% of the population has some sort of a, uh, uh a condition. So sure, uh, if they make uh, up enough crap to diagnose people with, <laughs> you know, well, been, that's one of the things, if you look at the statistics manual, the diagnostic statistics manual, man, they're turning everything into a mental disorder now. But, uh, I mean even I could tell you from my personal day-to-day experiences I encounter people that uh, say well they claim to be like they're they're bipolar or you know depressed this and that and it's just been exponential the past few years the number of people that have some sort of a psychological condition like this and I'm no stranger to a lot of these things my father was a paranoid schizophrenic uh, so like you know I I I see a lot of these behaviors and stuff in people all over the place a lot of times. So it's like – it's crazy just to think how many people suffer from some form of mental illness to begin with and then add in a stressful situation like this on top of it all and try to use this fear against people. And you can see how it's affecting the population. There's a lot of people that are – they've just given up. I, I mean, I, I could see just out in the public, you know, looking around, there's a lot of people that have just given up. They, they just have no interest anymore in, in doing anything because, well, first of all, they're very limited in what they can do uh, in society right now. And then second of all, they really have no desire to do it because they're just depressed all the time because of all this stuff. And, you know, they, they watch their TV too much and and listen to the nonsense that's being tacked into their brain. And even if you just look at it uh, and, you know, realize that about 95% of what they're feeding you is bull, uh, it's still, it still it has a psychological effect on you. So I can imagine, like, just the, the horrors that are, are going on right now in people's minds, especially those who have some form of mental illness or something like this. So... It's, well, it's,
4: it's sad to see that there's another ironic thing going on where they're trying to normalize transgenderism, um any any sexual thing that has typically not been standard. That's all trying to be normalized now and actually furthered. Uh, One of the main reasons is is because people um, of a different sexuality than hetero are not going to have kids for the most part, so it's population control. But another part of it is the mental illness thing. And this has been coming for a long time. I just saw the other day on television. A transgendered person, which looked clearly strange to the average eye, so the average eye is already going to be bigoted against what they're seeing, like I'm not like that person. And they say, oh, I changed my name because on your birth name, that's your death name. So they start saying all these true things, but it's coming from a person they know everyone's going to be bigoted against because they're different. In the first place. So even though they're pushing, oh, it's fine to be transgendered, they're using the fact that it's easy to bigot people against transgendered uh, to kill another idea, which would be recognizing your birth name for what it is. So it goes on and on and on. Yeah,
3: everything's been kind of, uh, you know, weaponized, all of this uh, identity politics. And that's what a lot of this is this whole transgender push and stuff like that. It's identity politics, and you'll notice that the big thing is they'll lump in, like, everything, gay, bisexual, transgender, uh, like, questioning, everything. They lump this all into one thing, and they, they're they trying to lump in different forms of mental illness and different depravities in with it. Like, the next big push will be for uh, pedophiles, pretty much. They're, they're trying to say – I've seen a couple things now that are trying to normalize uh, this this pedophilic nature uh, of things and, and try to normalize this and make it a, like a sexual preference that falls into this categorization. And I think people in that community should be outraged by that. But uh, you can see how media is pushing for that right now. Uh, so, I mean, you're talking, well, they're trying to lump all this, all these different things into this category
4: and normalize it. And like, well, you they know, just, they're going to, yeah, they're gonna do the double reverse. you know they're gonna um, they're gonna use the idea of being gay or anything that they've tried to make okay in the official eye when most of us don't give a damn we most of us just see other people as people and if they're not hurting anyone we, who cares um, but what they'll probably do is, is label it as a mental illness. So many of the things that get labeled as mental illness um, are designed in a way to take every right you've ever had. Um, and so I would not be surprised to see them do the double reverse, um, and it's it's all very sick. In my experience, you know, uh, the majority of people are okay with almost everybody um, as long as nobody's getting hurt. But once it starts becoming an official narrative, then that's when <laughs> that's when you got to look out. Um,
3: that's the whole thing that's that's dangerous with with that whole thing. It's not like a grassroots thing. OK, you could when Hollywood and the media are promoting this whole thing and pushing it in your face when it's less than three percent of the entire population. And like you said, nobody cares. I don't care. I don't care what your sexual preference it, is. It, I, right. If, if you're decent to me, if you treat what? me nice. I'll treat you nice. And it's right. plain and simple. I don't care what you do in the privacy of your bedroom. That's fine, as long as it doesn't have anything to do with molesting kids or something like that, because that's just a whole different level of things. But like whatever you want to do. That's fine. Uh, I don't care about that. But when you see this turned into an issue like it has been and pushed in the media how it has been, there's an agenda at play. And that's what I, I, I tell people about this. There's an agenda, and they're using this for something disturbing. And, you know, this is something that should not be done. So this is what people need to be aware of. And I think a lot of people are largely aware that it's an agenda and you know, it doesn't paint people with a fantastic light that way. So cause you get uh, push on both sides, push back on both sides. People are people. Let's put it that way. We're all human beings. We're all here having a human experience. What one person experiences may be different from another, but we shouldn't disrespect each other for it. And like, we should not, we, we shouldn't care about it. Like like I said, I really don't care what you do in the privacy of your own bedroom. That's not my business. Well, why, why do they you always got
4: to single it out? You know They yeah. single out gay people or black people or transgendered people. Why are you singling them out? They're all human beings. It's like this church I go by where it lists all the people that are welcome. And I think, really, that's just divisive. Just say all human beings are welcome. Leave it at that. Um, and that's part of the problem with the official narrative because once they start shining a light you're already separating people out um, and that's one of the side effects which I'm sure is intended um why why can't it just you know if you were gonna be honest about it you would say everyone is welcome right well that's why well should you be. know
2: this is a <laughs> A lot of this is like the divide and conquer strategy, but, you know, getting back to the sort of transgender acceptance and, you know, legislating rights, like, firstly, you could definitely see a culture uh, shift among the uh, mental health professionals. Uh, Like, uh, in my experience, there were some teenagers who were, you know, sexually traumatized and traumatized in other ways, and they're confused, you know, sometimes about a lot of things, about their sexuality, about their gender identity, and, you know, it's important to support them through this process of healing from the trauma, but all of a sudden, there were, like, these therapists who want to, like, call them, you know, by a different name and, you know, like, uh, send them to a clinic or consider putting them on hormones and this kind of thing, and uh, that, that never happened before. So, and it seems to be really focused on children like allowing them to change about gender or to decide about gender reassignment surgery at younger and younger ages. And even the World Health Organization um, has a document talking about sexuality and they're basically wanting to create a standard where it's four year old children are, are sexual beings. So like do away with puberty and go down to that young age. And then if you go back to the Kinsey research, right? Uh, Remember Kinsey Report, uh, famous researcher on human sexuality? Well, it turns out that that guy was really using a lot of pedophiles as subjects. uh, And they were doing things like masturbating babies and and things like that, also trying to show that children were capable of sexual arousal um, and were sexual beings. And then when I was in my training, and this was maybe five six seven years ago um i was involved with some cases where there were sexual predators and there was this you know there are these sexual predator commitment laws that have uh, popped up around the country that if you're basically after your uh, prison sentence for a sexually violent crime you can then be committed to the hospital if you're deemed at risk under a, a special commitment law, right? So back to what Crow was saying about taking away your rights through mental illness, they were calling it a mental illness. Uh, so they've already done that in a sense to basically indefinitely imprison uh, those people. But those people, you know, uh, for the most part, did commit uh, pretty serious um, sexual crimes. But at that time, when I was involved in that stuff, which I would never be involved in by choice, um, I received emails from a group they call themselves you know minor attracted persons i think you guys have all heard that term and this is basically trying to normalize it as another kind of sexual preference like homosexuality Uh. and i think ultimately the you know talking about children of younger ages being sexual and then having minor attracted people i think being included in the rubric of all of the you know lgbtq (laughs) letters I could definitely see things going there with the social programming.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's a disturbing thing to look at, but that seems to be the direction things are going. I mean, you can see where there is this push to try and normalize that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I I don't buy into it
2: myself. I'm not. Yeah, well, you're, yeah, you're you're a sane person but um, (laughs) you know i think you you also like another factor i I don't mention this very often but i think that some of the um, endocrine disrupting chemicals that are in the environment like for example there's a chemical called atrazine i believe it's a pesticide and it's been shown to cause uh, problems with sexual development in amphibians and i think other animal models like causing uh, hermaphrodites and ambiguous genitals Uh, You know, hermaphrodites is when an animal has both male and female genitals. And Mm -hmm. this drug was, uh, you know, presented with this research to the EPA, and they refused to even regulate it. And so this is like in widespread use in agriculture, and it's just one of many chemicals that we're exposed to that can cause disruptions in our sexual development. And I really do think this is part of the program and that it is like the physical side of uh, of programming our ambiguous sexuality that can lead to more people, you know, with gender confusion and and such, and maybe even in combination with trauma, it's a more profound effect uh, leading to those kind of outcomes.
3: Uh, you're gonna make me invoke my inner Alex Jones and say they're getting
2: up the frogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's what they're talking about. With it. At- yeah, yeah, it was atrazine yeah, that it was
4: that he was shouting about too. I think yeah, it was, just, yeah. just wait for the Muppets version to come out with Kermit.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you got to change the words to a Queen song or something. Oh, God. <laughs> you know
1: what's coming, everyone.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I also wanted to talk about psychiatry a little because you guys were mentioning the, like, expansion of diagnosis, right, and the really high uh, rates of mental illness according to the official records. And um, I agree that there's a lot of misery around. And we have a sick culture, right, this kind of nine-to-five slave workforce uh, culture that we have, you know, devoid of curiosity and exploration, devoid of connection with nature and the land, you know, where the only free time that we have we just fill with entertainment uh, because uh, we need a distraction, right, and include it in there with all the recreational you know, pursuits, uh, you know, shopping and drugs and uh, pornography and all the things like that, uh, there's a lot of reason to be miserable. Um, And certainly the trauma of and fear of the way the pandemic situation came to be and how it's totally changed our life, right, is is adding uh, greatly to that misery. And that's why we have like a lot of uh, high rate of suicides and drug overdoses and things like that going on right now. But, in terms of the like official rates of mental illness and the expansion of diagnoses, I think that's really a different phenomenon. Um, they may be applying this to the misery that is felt like in the population abroad or at large, but it's not really mental illness per se. And what they've done is basically categorized everything, as mental illness in order to provide this treatment. And what has the treatment become for this mental illness? It's mind numbing drugs. All of the antidepressants and antipsychotics and bipolar drugs that are used for all these conditions that they're diagnosing people with, basically numb your emotions, cause sedation, dull your cognitive abilities, right? So it's kind of dumbing you down from all these different levels and numbs you out and so that you don't care you don't do anything about it like when you feel depressed or anxious or uncomfortable in such a way that's not to the level of a mental illness where you basically be just don't move from the couch and like pee in your pants and and uh because you you don't care about going to the bathroom even and and all you want to do is die like that's real depression and i have seen that once or twice in my career but that Clearly, is an illness, right? But all the common misery that we have is really something um, different, and it's a signal that there's a problem. And the problem could be a relationship, it could be an unfulfilling career, it could be a problem with your health or nutrition, or uh, you know, exposure to a toxin, or uh, you know, a million other things, right? It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like having a fever. You know, a fever can indicate so many different problems in your body. And this kind of, you know, garden variety, depression, anxiety, that's most of the misery that people feel, it's really just a signal. And we need to be able to learn from that signal and take action from it. And then we can restore ourselves to a better situation. And it probably would end up with more people waking up and realizing that the system is really stacked against them and maybe wanting to work for themselves instead of at these kind of jobs and wanting to get out of debt and things like that. So, in order to control the people much more easily and have them continue you know to provide the bare minimum um, and even there's even really ways to make money off them when they're sick and decrepit as well behind the scenes that, that uh, most people don't know about. They just use these drugs to basically dumb them down and keep them docile and um, in in the process, you know these are some of the top selling drugs in the world, so we're talking about you know billions and billions of dollars. Um, in this industry of profit to, to bring this about. And I think this is one of the biggest mind control operations. And the taking away of the rights in the more severe um, uh, situations of uh, behavioral problems, like mostly people with schizophrenia or having real manic episodes where they commit you to the hospital and uh, marginalize you or imprison you uh, repeatedly and such like that, are just additional control measures. And they do... Uh, turn psychiatrists, especially because we're the ones required to sign those commitment papers um, into police officers. And uh, this always made me really uncomfortable. And I got a lot of flack for fighting against it when I was early on in my training, and I had to do this routinely. But it's uh, it's really a, a massive control and mind control and physical control system.
1: What do you think about the victim mentality, the people who are just professional victims in their own minds. It's just one thing after another. And everyone is so absolutely obsessed with someone's feelings getting hurt over name calling or particular symbolism, whatever it happens to be. How do you think that all ties in?
2: Oh, my gosh. It's like uh, political correctness or you yeah, know, people that. That's, that say you're gaslighting me if you disagree with them. You know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think the the yeah, it's like mostly just avoidance. It's like uh, you know, just stay in the numb entertainment, uh, pop culture circles, and um, you know, dismiss any serious inquiry because it's uh, it's too much to handle. It's hard enough just to keep sane. I think you know, it partially goes with what I was saying about that people's free time. You know, the only thing they do is entertainment. It's like part of part of the perhaps the trauma that people have gone through suddenly having to stay home and not work is like how to spend their time like they don't know how to create activities and use their imagination and be constructive without having uh you know that set regiment and uh boss telling them what to do and or maybe they realize suddenly that they do have this free will and they can do things they enjoy and still be productive and then say well why have i been doing the nine to five slave thing all these years You know, it could end in misery many ways.
3: I think a lot of uh, the whole uh, victimhood mentality has to do with cognitive dissonance, too. It's a form of cognitive dissonance for them. That way, they don't have to actually question things. You know what I mean? Like, if their personal beliefs, their personal beliefs are being violated somehow by this new information, they won't even consider it. And therefore, you know, this new information presents. To them as a threat, so therefore they perceive themselves as the victim of that threat, so it's, I think it's largely a form of cognitive dissonance.
1: Yeah, I could definitely agree with that it's It's these people that are uh, they're mostly on Twitter they're, they're also a small minority. they're nowhere near as big as, uh, as they, they seem to be made out to be, but yet so many people will cater to it just because they're some of the noisiest out there.
2: Yeah, I think social oh, media hey, uh, has a lot to do with it, too. Jason, you have any funny uh, tweets from that point of view that we could dissect?
1: <laughs> I actually don't even have a Twitter account except for the one I made for uh, for music years ago that I haven't used in probably five years and don't even remember the password. But I, I follow a lot of these nerd channels when I have time to watch them. Uh, just talking about... How all the major entertainment properties are getting destroyed, and it's predominantly by the kind of people that that we've been discussing the last couple of minutes here. There's just they're victims, they're professional victims. Like no matter what it is, they got to destroy it. And the thing is, they they've drugged down all these properties, and of course this is on purpose. This is to get messaging out. But it it, it it's just mind numbing that it's like this tiny little minority of people are the ones doing it and pissing everyone else yeah. off. You know, and and it's all the big. Uh, entertainment properties that are getting mangled in the process and it it shows you how money really doesn't matter because they're being allowed to do it i mean would you put out a product willingly knowingly that it's not what your customer base wants of course not not if you want to make a profit right Yet it keeps happening and we're seeing it in all of these things like star wars star trek uh doctor who marvel all of them i don't think there's anything that's been spared at this point
3: No, you're right they've hit all these intellectual properties and used them as programming templates for you know the the things that they want they being the the you know social controllers of this place that we live uh the ones that steer agendas and and you know steer policies and things like that they use once again this entertainment media as a means to program the public to accept the things that they want to come to be. So that's why we have things like uh, what they call predictive programming or revelation of the method. That's why we see this so much in entertainment because this is one of their primary tools they use right now to keep us uh, under the control that they want and moving in the direction they want. And uh, like Andy had alluded to earlier, um, this is exactly what television's function is for. This this is what it is. And people spend all of their free time – seeking out forms of entertainment and that's that's why they do it that's why they use it because this is what people do with their spare time they look to entertain themselves they don't do anything meaningful anymore they don't like uh try to uh pursue some kind of a spiritual path or reconnect with nature or do something creative build something create something new uh perform some artistic feat anything like this They just seek to entertain themselves, and I I think this whole lockdown scenario we've been in has uh, really been an eye-opening thing for a lot of people because they realize what it is that they they do with their spare time. They basically just play games, watch TV. They, They seek this entertainment. So that's why entertainment is one of the biggest tools that the controllers use in order to help program people's minds for things to come.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if uh, – yeah, I, I, my workload has doubled since uh, <laughs> since this stuff started. So it, it sounds funny when people are saying things like that they don't have much to do or they're bored. I don't think, how could it be bored? <laughs> okay. But I guess that's, that's more for the common – more common than not that people need the distraction and need all that. Uh, and then that in itself is a form of mind control, isn't it? Because you're talking about people who will bury themselves in a video game eight to 10 hours a day. They'll just play and play and play and play and play. I can only imagine what that's doing to your brain.
3: Oh, yeah. And once again, it's one of those things where it keeps your attention span very short too.
1: Well, you're getting multiple whammy there because not only is that refresh rate flicking in your face however many times a second, but on top of that, it's dragging you down into an alpha state. So you're emotionally getting uh, attached into what's going on on the screen. Not and it's and it's interactive too, so it's it's almost like a double or triple whammy, I guess.
2: Yeah, well, there's a lot of ways you could uh, use that, uh, certainly to and uh, train people in various ways. But you know, Jason, you can't look at uh, at us being busy now. We're in a unique situation. We've never been busier,
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's true. It's but, interesting. Uh, you but... came out uh, into this world, this uh, whatever you want to call it—conspiracy, truth, whatever. Uh, it's it, what we do. You came out, and boom, this stuff happened shortly afterwards. So the, you're getting uh, quite quite the trial by fire. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
3: Uh, I personally am a firm believer that things like this don't happen for accident. Uh, Andy, you were put in the position that you're in right now for a reason. and you know, I see you're you're reaching a lot of people and people are beginning to question things that they never had before because of the work you do. and i I really think uh, there's a reason for that. And I thank you for being brave enough to actually pursue that avenue. it's It's not easy. Uh, to be one of these people that that comes out and and tries to expose this stuff and and you know seek truth in these matters even when it's difficult and especially somebody who has uh, your background and your experience, uh, somebody that has so much to lose for you to stand up and uh, do the right thing that's that's very uh, that's a very brave thing to do and it, I think it's it's something that's important that we all need to do. We need to. Be brave enough to take a risk and, you know, just do the right thing because it is the right thing. So that's a noble thing, and I, I think, uh, you know, you're, you're reaching a lot of people just because of the credentials that you have. And that's something that uh, guys like me and Jason, we don't necessarily have the same type of credentials that you have. So people don't take us as seriously, but you with uh, your credentials – People take you seriously, so you draw a lot more attention. And by doing that, then you're drawing a lot more flack upon yourself too. Like if, if somebody you know calls me or Jason a ding dong or something, and, and thinks we're you know we're, we're screwballs or something like that, it's it's no sweat off of us because I mean honestly, it's like we, we don't really have as much to lose as you do. So I think it's very noble that you're stepping out and and doing this stuff and and talking about these things, uh, basically in a profession where uh you know it's kind of uh, something that's that's kind of a taboo so you know i just wanted to say thanks for that and i appreciate hearing all your input on these different ideas we're talking about tonight because it's always been a fascinating interest of mine is is talking about uh these mind control methods and technologies and and the way psychology is used Uh, against the masses and propaganda and everything that goes along
2: with that. So I appreciate your viewpoints, and, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing some more. Well, Wayne, that's uh, very uh, nice of you to say such great things about me. But, uh, you know, I think it's – I I was looking – first of all, I was uh, already on my way out of conventional medicine because I saw that it was causing more harm than it was doing good. For people, and I couldn't really sustain myself in that way. And I also realized that, you know, this situation was turning into something that is uh, life-changing for everyone. And, you know, there's no way I could not uh, stand up and, uh, you know, talk about it and uh, try to figure out what's going on and and let the people know my opinion about it, if, uh, you know, if it's valid at all. And I know those credentials mean a lot for a lot of people, but. I guess what I'm saying is I'm not not necessarily proud of my uh, medical heritage as it was because I saw, you know, so many uh, unjust and un- moral, immoral things uh, go on throughout the career. But I'm really, you know, I just appreciate, I uh, have much gratitude to be able to be in the position to talk to people now and help them figure out, uh, you know, what's going on and, and make better decisions about uh, themselves and their future and hopefully, you know, stand up for themselves and protect and advocate for their own freedom and not give in to the uh, draconian future and control system um, and figure out a way to protect themselves. So, you know, if I can contribute to that, it's like a great honor.
1: You know, it's funny about the fact that you have credentials and you'll hear a common person say, like, the fact that you've been speaking out against all all of the nonsense going on and they'll be like, well, this is not what the doctor says. It's like, well, I actually happen to have a friend who's a doctor. And it's like, oh, well, that's not what most of the doctors say. So it, people just convince themselves of they, what they want to be convinced about. And that, that, again, is a mind control all of its own. And it's like I, I I play the card that they're trying to play on me and all of a sudden doesn't matter because, well, I've got more doctors on my side than you've got on yours. It's like, OK, so my doctor's an idiot. No, I, I don't think so.
2: Well, you know, it's funny. I was actually uh, doing a, a live radio interview, like in a local um, radio station in uh, Utica, New York, earlier tonight, and I didn't really realize this going into it, but uh, there was a, a host of the radio station who was um, not really aware of what uh, I had talked about and was uh, had a pretty mainstream opinion, and uh, she she didn't give me the same courtesy that most do, uh, being an MD, but. Uh, she she um her interesting argument of why there was a covid pandemic is because she had a rather strange and she felt more severe than usual cold earlier in the season and uh while she didn't even go to a doctor or get tested or need hospitalization or anything she felt that that was enough proof that uh there's a pandemic that we should that we should all uh, obey um and and even after i presented the science uh you know the arguments that are based in the scientific papers or the government websites uh, like she still couldn't grasp any of it at all Um, you know just totally closed off to it and uh, you know so but but that's not you know of course I faced much more fire (laughs) than that you know being called names and such or uh, people questioning that I'm really a doctor and things like that but
4: uh, I I wanted to ask this and I'd forgotten last couple times we did this here on my local news I think it's out of Providence. Um, when all this started, they started this new kind of creepy tone. Um, it's like a doolulu. Every time they're going to do the COVID stuff. Have people, everyone huh. else, have you noticed this Pavlonian tone? Um, each Before each little serious segment, they play the tone. It's like a ringtone, but only, you know, not, it doesn't repeat. It just does it once to, to cue your mind back to where it needs to be. As oh, it's Pavlov's dogs absolutely it's worse than Pavlov's dogs because they got a flicker rate with it
2: I, I'd not heard that one that's a new one to me well, imagine I, if you combine this with the uh, technology that Microsoft patented the uh, 060606 patent <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, God. right because then they can monitor your brainwaves directly right while they give you input and then when you're in the right brainwave state then they give you the programming message
3: you know, you yeah, there's a real potential there. There's definitely a real potential there, and, and this is something that uh, you know is is largely overlooked by the public uh, in general. They they, they don't want to believe that any of this stuff is true. Here's here's the general consensus. Okay, the the standard population they don't want to believe that people in positions of authority in the medical community would be lying to them about something like this. But we see the proof over and over and over again, even on the TV TV news every night. They contradict themselves uh, like almost every single night. First they tell you, oh, we shouldn't wear masks. Oh, we should wear masks, Uh, you know. Oh, it only affects old people. Oh, it affects kids now too. Oh, the symptoms are only a a cough, a, a low grade fever and difficulty breathing. And then all of a sudden, they add this laundry list of other symptoms now. It's like I I think this COVID thing has every single symptom of every kind of a major (laughs) respiratory illness or or even any other gastrointestinal illness. It has every symptom that it could possibly be. All these symptoms are symptoms of this, this magic virus. All of a sudden, it could make you sick with any set of symptoms, and you might have it but not know it and might not have any symptoms at all, but you still have it and could spread it. Which, by the way, the science behind that is is really like ridiculously way off. Uh, <laughs> the, they they always quote one one study where it was supposedly this asymptomatic person that had traveled to China and had traveled back to Germany, and uh, she supposedly was completely asymptomatic, had no symptoms, and spread this to somebody else. Uh, they went back and a- after the peer review, and they went back to do the follow up, and it turns out that like she had had the symptoms when she arrived in Germany. So she was not asymptomatic at all. And this is the study, the, the one and only study that I've seen that they use to push this idea that you could actually spread this without having any symptoms, which completely defies logic of any other type of uh, communicable disease that any epidemiologist even looks at. Uh, like if you buy into this general germ theory, it does not even comport to that. It, it's, it's like this magic virus that could infect everybody like, but not if you're just in the without test. anybody even knowing they have it, and you could get any number of symptoms from it. So it's 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 really defies logic when you look at it.
4: I, I thought I was safe, and then one of the symptoms—if you broke a flip flop this week—and I thought, crap, I got it.
2: <laughs> oh no, not the flip flop breaking one. You know, I've been really trying to rack my brain to figure out why is it that some people you know, can't see these obvious contradictions. (laughs) And, um, I think it's most like a cult because, you know, what happens when you try to like take people out of a cult situation, right? You can't convince them that, uh, what the propaganda that they believe from the cult is not reality. Right. Even, even when you show them like clear objective evidence, they, you still can't convince them otherwise. And it's the same, it's the same thing with the current situation. It's like, uh, some kind of cult that's been programmed into us and it's like it's generalized to all these uh, authority figures, right? Like it starts with the teacher and the dean and the principal and then it works up to, you know, the mayor and the governor and uh, the president and, and such and then their designated experts like the health commissioner and, uh, and then, you know, the, the corporate legends or the uh, famous celebrity spokespeople. Right, and they're basically the only ones that can give the information that's believable, uh, according to this kind of cult situation. And so, when we come as you know subversive people, even though we have obviously clear information, scientific information, objective information, even even using the information from the mainstream themselves, right? Like all of the arguments I've made have been based on looking at peer-reviewed scientific papers and government websites uh i haven't gotten any you know uh thing from spies or <laughs> you know un- unreliable anonymous uh sources you know or anything like that right so it's not but it's still like you know these people would talk to me and and you know just not be able to uh really consider anything i say right because they're they're stuck in this cult mentality so i i think you know, we need some kind of way to counteract this from a psychological perspective. Or maybe from a, uh, you know, some kind of uh, etheric or, you know, higher power perspective. But um, there's got to be some way to break this cult spell.
4: I, I think I can boil it down to a fa- a foundational equation to work from. I, maybe the main problem here is belief is the enemy of knowing. Um, And that's why I've said it, because when people choose to believe things, for some people, it is so difficult to undo that belief. And even after they've moved on, uh, you'll recognize certain things said and done that shows that that belief is still held safely in a corner pocket somewhere. Um, And that, too, was trained into us. And a lot of that has to do with movies and other things. As a matter of fact, think of the Marvel movies that they just did, where the whole universe was going to lose, you know, planet after planet, galaxy after galaxy in their model, was going to lose 50% of everyone, and it came down to one person losing one loved one, and there's just no way, I, I don't give a damn, man, that's the person I love, half the half of everything can go away, and they do these dichotomies, which works centrally, I think, at belief, what you'll accept and what you won't.
3: Right, there's a lot of... Uh programming templates in that Marvel Endgame movie too, I mean if you go back and look at it with a critical eye now, even something like uh, after all the the events of of the Infinity War movie happens and half the population disappears and stuff like that, uh, you see where the baseball stadiums and stuff sit empty, uh, and that's kind of foretelling of, of what's going on today, because you got the same thing going on, more or less I mean you have empty stadiums empty concerts like no concerts no no sporting events all of this stuff it's it's the programming template it's right there in your face and then they also talked about in one scene of the movie where captain america is saying how he saw uh whales out in the the hudson or something like that because you know there were less people so (laughs) there was less pollution and there were more animals and and wasn't that all happy and great and, and, like, this is the kind of, like, the Agenda 2030 programming and stuff. Just put blatantly in your face in there. It's all foretelling all of these things. And, and, like, this is what we see. And, like I said, entertainment, this is what they use as one of their primary tools to push these ideas into the minds of people. And it's very subtle a lot of times the way they do this because you won't even realize something was there until after the fact. Like, if you, you you never realized that was in an Endgame movie, well, go back and look at it now. Just you know, and, and you can see how it's clearly foretelling things, and that's that's how they work these things, and it, it's amazing
4: but that it feeds into the beliefs this kind of
3: stuff like that,
4: right? Absolutely, I mean, that, and that's the whole so, key, right? I love these guys. Thor's my hero, you know. If Thor does, you know, and then when something comes along in the same vein, it's much more easier to bring on board and say, yeah, I accept it, I believe it. Uh, it's all the the pre echoing, and you know like when you're going to plant a garden man you got to get that bed ready for the seeds and that's exactly what all that's about subconsciously a lot of it
3: right use these archetypal ideas to uh, plant the seed in your mind for something later to come and then when they actually put the idea there it's it's got fallow ground to fall on and that's that's where it's at it, it's all uh you know kind of an abuse of an alchemical principle when it comes down to it but yeah that's exactly what it is and it's this archetypal idea and they put it out there in the uh, the entertainment because they know like Andy said earlier entertainment that's what people do with their spare time they seek nothing but entertainment anymore and it's, it's a far cry from where we've come from in older times and I would say easier simpler times where we actually did things that matter now people don't do things that matter They just do things to entertain themselves.
1: (laughs) Well, most of the people they, they they look up to are schmucks too. I mean, an actor is not someone to be looking up to. What, they're a professional pretender? That's someone you want to idolize? Screw
4: that. It's almost like the whole world has become a metaphor or a simile, right? Everything we do online is like a metaphor for something that should be real. Even when we're communicating, it's like a simile for something that actually happened. You see what I'm getting at here? And that further detaches you from the actual act of being present. In some real manner, uh, and that's that's a side effect of screening. is That you know, that's the whole underwriting for Dune's idea of the Butlerian Jihad, isn't it? That is the whole premise. Uh, there's nothing about it that can't be misused.
1: Now, what about the whole false flag thing? That's also a a very serious form of trauma-based mind control. Uh, let's take Sandy Hoax for example. Andy, what do you think about that sort of thing and how people responded to it, even though, like, all you have to do is dig a little bit and you can see that it's rubbish?
2: Yeah, well, but it's, uh, you know, it's sacrilege to even dig on something like that because we're talking about children here, right? So this is uh, the most kind of serious thing that you can imagine, killing a bunch of innocent children. So people are, yeah, just so devastated by it, they don't know what to do, you know, they just want to, like, have vigils and uh, be scared. So, uh, you know, this is the way that the, they pass a lot of gun control legislation, for example, and I'm sure there are many other agendas. Um, and it may, it may be even part of the impetus to uh, push that schools are not safe, or maybe it wasn't successful enough with that, and so they had to use uh, scare of... Uh, Contagious disease, uh, you know to push it over the edge But certainly this is a you know, it's a devastating thing and uh, you know You try to talk to someone about it and you can't get past the emotional uh, Response to consider that uh, you know things just don't add up Right like in in Sandy Hook for example the uh, school where it allegedly took place wasn't even being used as a school at the time (laughs) so (laughs) You know, just just that fact alone (laughs) creates creates a a whole bunch of other questions, you know. So but uh, try saying that to an average person and uh, you'll you'll create a situation where you've offended them, you know, and now you're alienated. You can't even interact with them. So it's 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 too dangerous to even bring up and in that kind of a setting.
4: But belief rooted in right. fear is like the strongest thing in the world to get. There is no higher contagious thing, I don't think. Remember some of the evidences, like they showed the uh, send us money so we can have funerals websites set up a day or two too early. <laughs> the internet connection was provably listed as not having been there for four or five years. I mean, some of the evidence was incontrovertible, um, and still people wouldn't wouldn't accept it.
2: Right. Well, it's just like the reporting building seven came down like uh, an hour before it happened, or something like that. Right. <laughs> yep. Well, I yeah, that. I
3: think it was like twenty-five minutes before it happened, yeah, or something like that. The BBC there. reported it. Yeah, that and that, that's, that's called following the script really a know too closely. About. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's something people aren't even aware of, that Building 7 even collapsed. Some people didn't even know there was a Building 7, let alone that it was actually the Solomon Brothers building. And that's where all of the uh, outside the uh, the D.C. Beltway uh, CIA documents and everything were stored. So, uh, you know, uh, there, there's a lot to that story as well. So, uh, you know, people don't know by and large about building seven the average person in the street uh, do you remember do you know about building seven what's building seven well you tell them that the, a third building collapsed that wasn't even hit by a plane it, it, it sounds outrageous <laughs> like if you think about it logically like office fires supposedly brought down this skyscraper <laughs> and it, it collapsed in its in its own silhouette you know so it, it's amazing how this that's the only time that ever happened in the history of the world well they were, skyscrapers they were stairs that were built to withstand airplane crashes collapsed in their own footprint like that. So weren't you know, they sp-
2: weren't they storing explosives in their offices though? I mean <laughs> that must have that must have done it, right?
4: <laughs> or rocket, uh, who fuel, knows? I don't know what.
1: <laughs> Maybe it was full of uh, rocket fuel. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs>
4: Those were actually under disguise Saturn V rockets getting ready to take us back to the moon. <laughs> That's region. kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah.
3: Building Seven didn't kill like itself. Yeah, exactly. So way they can't build those anymore, guys. Just so you know. No, they forgot how. They lost the plants. <laughs> so so wait.
2: didn't they lose? They lost the magnetic tapes, right? From the tape drives with all the uh, yeah. data.
3: All, all the tele- Yeah, the, the most important the stuff and all the
4: original footage. Well it's even worse than that because the original footage they said couldn't be synced with television so they took a crappy 60s handheld camera and filmed it off an eight inch black and white monitor. That was the footage that got sent out all over the world so it was uh, yeah
3: but good thing Nixon was able to talk to them on the landline phone though you know just so that he could know for sure that they went there
4: and meanwhile Pink <laughs> Floyd was doing doing a live show called Moonhead right yep <laughs> it never ends. <laughs>
1: Uh, the, the big thing that they don't have anymore that would be invaluable. Now, now, if this event really happened and you so sent people that far in space, the one thing you'd want is all that biometric data, all that telemetry, all the stuff that you've never been able to do before and spent obscene amounts of money on. They just wiped it because it wasn't important.
4: Or, or maybe Von Braun's blueprints for the amazing Saturn Vs because he was the only guy in the world who could engineer that since then. Up to this very time, computers can't even help. By the way, they still can't replicate what that genius did. At least he was good enough to live us. Leave us Psalm one nine one. Is it? Is that right, Wayne? At least he left us that Psalm. <laughs> yeah, on his headstone, yeah, that, the nine the nine eleven Psalm that tells the truth.
3: Yep yeah, the, the the firmament. Yes, talking about the firmament. It's it's an astounding thing. My my whole point of view with the whole NASA taping over the moon landing t- thing. That's the other one I heard. They they. Had budget shortages, so they they used the the tape again to tape over it. So that that's that's what they claim. They learned that uh, from they Nixon. taped over it cause, right? That's that's kind of like uh, you know taping over your wedding video, taping like WrestleMania or something over your wedding video. That's like a dumbass move. <laughs> you know, you're gonna get flack for it at some point later. They you would think they would know better. You know, the, supposedly the most important feat humankind has ever accomplished, and they're going to tape over it? I don't think so. <laughs> it just it does not add up. I mean, if you apply common sense to any of these ideas, any of these false flags or false narratives or, you know, anything like that, it just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Like, it, and people can't seem to see through it, and I don't understand why. Like, you know, it, it's it's one of those things. I guess common sense is a rare thing
4: anymore. Uh, On the upside, once you get to a point where you can detect it, and then you recognize it, and then you take it on board, there's a period of time after that, I don't know if it differs for everyone, um, you don't miss a damn thing, because nothing is acceptable after that. When you recognize a lie of a certain magnitude, it's like you're so shell-shocked, it's like, are you sure that's blue? Let, Let me take a look. I'll take a look. I'll tell you if that damn thing's blue or not. Okay, yeah, maybe it's blue. You know, it gets to be like that where you're just not buying anymore. Uh, let me use the example of everyone taking the pill and swallowing without asking. Um, but we're going to have Dave J on again. I don't know how many people remember Dave J. I just saw a recent show he did where he's just laying down the truth, and the person he's speaking with is just not having any of it. And he's sitting there going, I. I jason could describe it better jason do you see the part where he's talking about what the sky is for did you catch all that i I didn't watch it yet uh anyhow um we're gonna have him on but uh he's one of these people where when you listen to him and you don't get things it seems there's something about it you want to know more about but it seems a bridge too far but at the point you finally understand what he's talking about it's like oh my god A veil has been lifted that can never close down on you again. Um, So we're going to have them back on, and hopefully people will benefit from it.
1: So, Wayne, we're getting low on time here. What other aspects of mind control you want to get to while we have Andy and Crow with us?
3: Um, Let's see. Uh, I just want to read a little sentence here out of the Mind War document again down here towards the bottom more. Quote, Mind War's effectiveness is a function of its own skillful use of communications media, but no greater error could be made than to confuse Mind War with merely a greater and more unprincipled propaganda effort. End quote. So basically, it's oh. comparing Mind War to propaganda, but saying it's a, you can't confuse it with propaganda, even though that's what it is. And it, because what's the skillful use of communication media to, to kind of effectuate your, your message to the public at large? It, it's, hey, it's
4: propaganda, it almost, right? Wayne, it almost sounds like they're saying propaganda is for diaper-wearing kids. This is like PhD level. <laughs> yeah, this is
3: like next-level propaganda. Right. Like mind this war. is on steroids. And that's essentially what it's talking about here. Just I, I always find that document interesting. I like to revisit it every once in a while. It's not a long document, but it, it talks about things in you know military terms a lot of times. But if you just substitute the military terms for something a little bit more commonplace, you can see how it's a template for use for anybody who's doing any type of social controlling uh, type aspects of things. Um, but anyway uh more about uh different aspects of the whole mind control thing uh looking back at uh different people like Jose Delgado and uh dr Ewan cameron uh they performed all kinds of different uh strange type uh tests and experiments where they did things like psychic driving and stuff like this where they they would uh put a a, a helmet on somebody with the playing Uh, different sounds or or different uh, sentences to them while they were sleeping and stuff like that to try and instill different kinds of behavior patterns in them and they sometimes used like hallucinogenic drugs and and things like that uh, to make altered states of consciousness in people so that they could use this as a programming template and a lot of these guys were the pioneers of this type of work and lo and behold they worked for the CIA (laughs) you know, Uh, big shocker there or the intelligence agencies MI6, MI5, um, CIA, all of those different agencies, they all have roots back in these early psychological studies post-World War II that came out, and uh, even even before then, like a lot of these guys started back before then, so you're talking about they're, they're bringing a lot of these ideas into a laboratory-type setting and trying to, to link the physiological with the, the psychological. And I was just wondering what Andy's take on those type of things are. If he had done any studies into uh, these guys, like these uh, Kurt Lewin and Jose Delgado and uh, Sidney Gottlieb, uh, if he was familiar with these names of, of these guys that did any of this, and were you taught any of this in your school training, or is this something they don't really talk about?
4: Nope. Do it. lose You're Andy? Muted. No, it's muted.
2: Hmm. Sorry, I I, uh, I forgot to switch it back off the mute. Uh, My my apologies. Um, No, I hadn't heard of those particular uh, researchers, but what you were talking about reminded me of the Milgram experiment. And uh, I think that's a pretty important one um, in this mold. And uh, you guys familiar with that?
3: Yes, that's the one where uh, the... uh the guy in the lab coat tells this person to shock this person or something. Yeah, is that yeah, the one I'm so,
2: thinking?
4: okay, yes. yeah, I'm
3: familiar with that one. So they
4: actually they have... used to show that in in high schools. High school students used to see that experiment in social studies, but I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, really? Well, that's
4: yeah, interesting. I did. I did. Wow. Hmm.
2: So yeah, basically, what happens is they have like um, a person in another room that you can like see through a window and they're hooked up to an electrical wire of sorts. And, um, and then you, the experimental subject, you're in, in control of giving them a shock. And uh, so there's an authority figure that's directing you to, like, ask them questions. And if they don't get a certain answer, you're supposed to give them a shock. And on <laughs> the dial, it says what level of the shock is lethal. Right? So you, you could actually be capable of delivering a lethal voltage to them. And so they are, like, you know, instructed to basically answer the questions incorrectly.
4: And the authority
2: figure directs the subject to, like, deliver harder and harsher shocks and, like, the person's acting out in pain. And uh, they thought most people were not going to do this, but but actually the overwhelming majority did follow these instructions and even gave them a lethal uh, shock (laughs) under the authority's direction.
4: And Knowing what I know now, and I remember that was a grainy black and white. What was that, from the early 60s? Is that right, Andy?
2: Yeah, I think it was uh, 63.
4: Yeah. Um, what What I rem- What I think about now, when I rem- and we were showed that in high school, and there was another one that was done in a prison, but I don't remember it. Yeah. There were two things in the same class they showed. One had to do with... Certain guys were the guards and the other guys were the prisoners. The other one was the shock test. Um, and it was done in, I think, a social study class. But I wonder uh, what component of that is cross culturally correct. You know what I'm saying? So you have your, you go to your city, wherever the heck it was, San Francisco, or I don't recall where it was, and you get your little sample of people. I wonder what would happen if that was replicated out um, into rural or you know, get, get a wider cross section. Um, and make sure it's culturally not biased, Um, get different segments of society. I wonder what the outcome of it would be, Um, but it's a scary thought, because if it was the same outcome, it goes to show you why we are where we are now. Well, in the Milgram experiment, it was actually a wide variety
2: of different uh, peoples with different levels of education and different types of professions and livelihoods, and uh, they seemed to all do the same thing.
4: Actually, now that you say it, I think I remember, because I think in the movie it said this lady is like a checkout lady, Um, this guy's a gas. Did they do that in the film, don't they, say, give what they did for a living? I think I remember that. Really, I've never seen the film,
2: actually. I've just read about it, but uh, it'd be interesting to check that out.
4: Maybe a reenactment of of the test itself, but I think it was a social studies class, and I'll have to look up the other one. They did a similar thing where they put people, some were the guards of a fake prison, and some were the inmates to see how far the abuse would go. Right, and they yeah. fell
1: into their, their respective roles that they were supposed to play to the point that it was indistinguishable or close to it from the real thing.
4: And didn't it have something to do with um, some of the people who ended up being inmates were like CEOs or something like that? And and the other guy was like the local garbage collector. I forget. <laughs> there was some component of it where it was complete role reversal. Um, but I think, again, if I remember correctly, I'll have to look that up. I haven't thought about that for years, but it, it showed that people were willing to get abusive and take it too far.
2: yeah crow this this experiment was actually done with college students i want to say it was at berkeley or someplace like that Mm. because you know that's one of the places they've done a lot of human experimentation but but uh i think it was uh the college students and that some of them like so the the ones who were supposed to be the guards they did like get more and more abusive and uh punish the the uh you know inmate uh subjects and then i think that some of those kids like had like either become suicidal or had a psychotic break or something like that under the stress of the experiment they had to be let out like urgently
4: i found it i found the one that showed me a stanford prison
1: experiment just... someone just put in the uh, chat room
2: oh it was stanford not berkeley there you go
4: I yeah i just Is that right? the milgram
2: that oh,
1: somebody else just said it to yeah all right well there we go. there you go anyway so that's that's awesome that um Oh, it's not awesome, but it, you know you can prove that these things really do go on. And it just shows that it doesn't take much to to get people to, to bend away from what you think they would be. And maybe maybe people are a lot more malleable than uh, that they think they are.
4: There's, there's yeah. like a side effect to watching that experiment too because I remember feeling it. It's like, well, I wouldn't do that. And then later you're thinking about it and you think, <laughs> well, I hope I wouldn't do that. And then you start thinking, man, would I do that?
3: Well, once again, one of the main cruxes of this experiment that's important is, uh, you know, the guy in the lab coat, this authority figure, is the one telling you to do this. So do you listen to the authority figure? And I guess it's just human nature to, uh, if you perceive somebody as being an authority figure, to listen to what they tell you. So, uh, I mean, uh, you could see Wait, how I this is used I, against us.
2: I wouldn't say it's human nature. I'd say that we're actually trained to listen to authority figures. Right. Yeah, because there, we ne- we never lost. Yep. See, I think he, human nature is that your only authority figure is your parents, and once you come of age yourself, then you have no authority figures to answer to. Right, and, I and think is it that the, somewhere inside you? You want it? Well, I think that uh, you know, in times of crisis, right, people want to stick together, and maybe someone presents himself as a leader, and the other people. Uh, you know, feel comfort in that. Right. So there is a a time when that adaptation may work on a temporary basis. But but what we've been entrained is to seek authority figures to solve every problem. Right. Like we've been infantilized as as a culture, as a society that we have to look to the, you know, paternal figure always to get the answers or to know what to do. And, you know, I think that a lot of it comes from the compulsory schooling system. Like, I think that really lays the foundation. Like, that's why they want to move kids uh, right at the sound of a bell immediately from one thing to the next and just interrupt. It's like the, the engagement in the learning process or the creative process or whatever's going on at that moment in time is far less important than being able to, like, stop when at the sound of that bell and move to where they want you to move. Right? I thought the picture picturearchy was
1: evil, though. <laughs> 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 uh,
4: once so, again, there's, there's well, the whole... Sorry. Well, I was going to say, you know, this is the whole Gilligan's Island thing. Uh, there's a TV programming echoing exactly what Dr. Kaufman is saying. Our society has shaped us this way. There's the cop. I've got to pull over and listen to what he says. The doctor told me I had to do this. And then Gilligan's Island does that. You know, there's the dude in the blue shirt. He's the skipper, the guy in the red shirt. He's the clown, the, the professor, anything scientific. That's his bailiwick. The rich guy, well, basically anything because he's the rich guy. Um, and these, these kind of pre-packaged ideas that have been beaten into us our whole lives were then rolled out as comedy in Gilligan's Island. Um, And the more I think about that show, it's like looking in a mirror to where we were at that time.
1: Well, they're archetypes. right? That's what they used. And then
4: once again, you
3: see that whole arrested development idea, though, coming into play here, too. People, you know, abdicating their responsibility to an authority figure or to somebody that they perceive as the uh, quote-unquote adult in the room. Uh, And that that's once again, we're kind of programmed that way. We're kind of indoctrinated that way uh, to be in this constant childlike state, always uh, seeking uh, direction from an authority figure. And that's that's ingrained into us. And I I don't know if that's necessarily part of what it is to be like a, a natural human Uh, within your nature I don't think that's a natural part of human nature it's just we're indoctrinated that way and we're trained as a society that way and that's kind of where we're at right now and you can see how this has been going on for several generations now where we've been kind of pushed into this state of this you know this childlike mentality uh, keeping the education level and the entertainment at around a sixth grade level so that uh people are more easily controllable and you know will abdicate their responsibility and their own autonomy to somebody else
4: that's, actually, that's that that's a Tavistock benchmark by the way and you see it in programming where the children disrespect the elders and the parents all the time one of the benchmarks for Tavistock to understand when their programming has been effective is when you can no longer distinguish who's in charge between the child and the adult um, the, the child no longer respects the adult cause the adults not acted like an adult. Um, and when that point is reached, it's a benchmark for success on certain of the things I was interviewing and you could see it, um, programs like, uh, uh, mom, I just, I just looked at a list of them, uh, that were known where the children were portrayed as just being completely disrespectful to the parents, almost like the Simpsons was when it first came out. But now it's so much worse because they'll pro- portrayed the parents, oh, they were in jail, they're alcoholics, they gotta go to AA, they stole, they shoplifted, and here's a child who won't listen to them, and as a matter of fact, tells them to shut up and go sit down, this kind of thing. That's prevalent right now in uh, television programming. Well,
2: like you guys were mentioning, you know, the the medical authority figure, and I think that's really who's being exploited in the current situation, right? Because this is like a medical technocracy. But uh, so many times, like people that I've seen for a variety of situations, they just say things like, "The doctor took me out of work." Right? It's like <laughs> they complete. like they had no say whatsoever in the decision. Like it's not their job or their life or their body. Right? It's just like you have. They have to be compelled to, um, you know, follow this authority. Yeah, it's so well ingrained. It's in, almost in like by, by that time.
4: It's almost like Tron, right? You know, the central – what was it called? The central processing. unit. Oh, the MCP. Like that. The, the, the yeah, the MCP. Program. Exactly.
1: Who is your user program? You know, it's funny. Every time we say uh, the, the white lab coat, the only thing I think of anymore is Rick and Morty and just how much stuff they encode in that these days. The main character is the guy in the white lab coat, but he's a complete dick. <laughs> and he's just, like, like m- his morals are atrocious, and yet this is supposed
4: to be the quote-unquote hero of the show, yeah. Well, they had the nuggets to open up with a face-hugging show with a little alien mass. Unreal. Yeah. As this broke the new episode for the new season, it's unreal. Um, I don't understand how anyone cannot put one and one together when it is that blatantly obvious. And not only that, the little parasite mask things that are covering their face to take their humanity so they don't even know what the hell's going on. I mean, the whole thing was a one-to-one allegory.
1: And you got to think that these things are made way ahead of time. That was always the problem with Rick and Morty being able to... Uh... Right. To be out yep. for a, like a two-year gap or whatever they always had. They always had a, a, a substantial chunk of time in between. And it's because it takes time to make these things. So you're trying to tell me all of a sudden they don't? The only show I know that can crank it out in, in a week is South Park, and that's just because of the nature of the uh, the animation. It's it's not that high-end animation that a lot of the other programs, like a Family Guy episode or any of them, those take months to make. So that just tells you that things are done and thought out ahead yeah. of time. It's, it's just proof the right preview- there.
4: Yeah, the previous season, I think it was a year and a half or something, because people complained, and it had become the hottest ticket um, on some obscure channel that wasn't that big before Rick and Morty got there. Um, and it goes to show, yeah. And not only that, it was the first one of the season. Um, uh, you know, I should look at what the release date was. As a matter of fact, usually you can look at the production schedule, um, but who knows? But they haven't. They didn't produce a single episode. What did they only do half a season? Did they only do five or six? I don't remember but they showed five,
1: no. then they waited, then they showed five again, and what you're, you're what you're referring to is the second group of five and they did the mask one and of course I'm watching this, I'm like, you gotta be
4: fucking kidding me. <laughs> every one of them, Jason. Every well yeah, and they all of, had shit in them, but yeah, but this that one was really a- just giving us the finger. Even in one of them they went to the point where they were doing something with these new beings on a thing and some of them were gonna be useless. Um, and they said, "Well, instead of making them useless, we could give them a lo- online college education." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they said, I, it's "Easier just to dump them in the toilet." And then they said things like, um, "Influencer content makers that are all useless eaters." Yeah, um, un- unreal. But every one of those episodes has been a reflection on modern society.
1: I didn't think they could crank it up much more, but in, in over the previous American Mortys. But yeah, this this season—what is this, Four they're on now good grief it's like every single one they're they're just totally sticking it to us
4: what about the train episodes if yeah. that doesn't take <laughs> you're living on a toy train get over it um and by the way all western religion we're just going to make fun of it
3: another thing that should be telling about all of that is the fact that they use cartoons as the main programming tools anymore for people that should tell you something about the mentality of our society
1: well, it's what Crow and I have talked about so many times uh, over for years now. That uh, it all started with Snow White. Can you get someone emotionally invested in a cartoon? And it turns out in uh, is it was it 1939 Crow that indeed yes you can. And that was it. The gloves are off, and they could do whatever the hell they wanted with it.
4: Well, it's if you look carefully at the year 1939 in cinema. It's a tell beyond belief. Uh, look at even something like the Wizard of Oz. Look at the quality of the makeup in 39. Uh, you can get into the 80s and they're not even the same ballpark as where they were in 39. Um, look at the color of some of the quality of the special effects. We're pulling off even the uh, the tornado in Wizard of Oz. Uh, I saw this thing from MGM. God, I wish I could remember the year. seems like it might have been the early 40s, late 30s. But they went back and showed that every single star, when they were all contracted back then, had the equivalent of a death death mask made uh, in latex rubber. And when they began to show, it was way beyond what you suspected could be done way back then. And then all of a sudden, uh, it made me draw the line to the 60s show, uh, Mission Impossible where the dude's wearing a mask and he becomes the ruler of some country and no one can tell the difference. Um, and that's when I began to put it all together. Uh, and you, I, I got to track that down where they're showing all the masks and what can be done with latex Mm -hmm. I think in the late thirties, early forties, it's unbelievable how far down the road they already were. Um, and then by the time we get to the eighties, they're, they're dumbing it down. They're doing a crappy job on purpose to, you know, put up the illusion that they can't pull things off.
1: Well, Wayne, we're just about there. What uh, last topics you want to get in before we sign off?
3: Now, I think we've pretty much covered uh, you know most of the the stuff I wanted to get through here. Uh, I think it's it's very telling that uh, we as a society have come to a place where our entertainment is the primary tool that they use in order to uh, steer our opinions, and this all falls back to the works of Ed Bernays going way back, uh, once again to like the nineteenth. 19- uh He's he talks about this stuff like in in his writings. It's it's just very telling how how to control a society, how to manipulate a society, things like this. How we're controlled by uh, an invisible government of sorts. Uh, these are the people that are basically your social engineers. They they steer agendas, they steer policy, they steer all this from you know uh, a place of. Prominence where where they're at, but also a place of anonymity. Uh, I can't talk anonymity for the most part. Like we don't know who they are. Uh, we don't know who these people are that are, are doing these things. Uh, we have our couple social uh, people that are out in the public view that we could pin things on, but those aren't ultimately the people that are making decisions when it comes to it. They're just the figureheads. So we could see how we're we're steered in these general directions and how. All of this media that we take in on a daily basis, it's all mind control, all of it. It's one form or another of mind control or propaganda or whatever you want to call it. It's its influencing our views on reality, our perceptions. And uh, when you think perception is reality, and that's thats what they're doing. They're controlling our perceptions and therefore controlling our reality. And we could see that going on more and more with the, the modern technical state of things that we have now.
4: You got me thinking, Wayne. We should change the old cliche. Instead of saying "Let me count the ways," we should say "Let me count Bernays." Yeah. <laughs> and he
1: laid down all yeah. the work that got used for decades afterwards. I mean, that that without him, I can only imagine how much longer they would have needed. Because he's the one that proved, in a, in a commercial setting no less, just how much can be done.
3: Oh, easily, easily. He was a big time influencer of society.
4: He laid the cobblestones we're all getting mind raped on. Well, that's, that's going to take us there. Uh, Andy, you got any
1: final thoughts and you want to tell everybody what you got going on where they can find you and all that?
2: Uh, yeah, sure. Well, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate uh, everyone's thoughts. I think this was a very rich discussion tonight. And um, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, uh, just check out Andrew dot com. Uh, I don't think I'll have a YouTube channel much longer uh, at the rate they're <laughs> going. A little, little with, too uh, much truth there, Andy. <laughs> censoring and uh, demonetizing me, so uh, better to check my website. <laughs> um, and uh, definitely hope to see you there. And then uh, also tomorrow, uh, if they keep their promise, um, an interview with me is going to air on uh, High Wire with uh, Dell Big Tree. I know uh, some people um, put in some inquiries to try to help make that happen, so um, hopefully it will come out tomorrow.
1: Awesome. Thanks for coming on with us. I know it was last minute. I kind of uh, threw it at you. I appreciate well, no, you no, time. no. I,
2: I promised last week, so I always uh, keep my promises, and uh, I enjoy <laughs> you know talking to you guys. Uh, so it's like uh, a fun way to spend an evening. It's not uh, a work situation, <laughs> in, in my opinion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's always great to have you, man. Thanks a lot, Crow. Do you want to uh, talk about the episode we dropped early uh, instead of tomorrow? Oh yeah, um, we
4: we put out two three two or uh, two thirty five is live right now. I put it out a little bit early. Uh, it's not running on YouTube uh, because of the censorship. We just got censored for a tuning forks episode, <laughs> believe it or not, because <laughs> those are dangerous. Forks are dangerous, yeah. That's it. Got tagged dangerous. Um, but this one is maybe a bit foundational. Uh, because, I don't know, years of research culminated in me realizing um, that it was probably the Biblical Mosaic bloodline is the thing that had been obfuscated, and as we did Medici, uh, I endeavored to show that we can attribute so much to it. The fall of Rome, um, the onset of the Renaissance, Vatican. it goes on and on and on. Anyhow, uh, if you want to have your mind twisted and blown around a little bit, catch 235.
1: All right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks to everybody for being here. It was a great chat as always, and we'll see you next time.